Well, I tell you what, it is a blessing to be sitting here or standing here today worshiping God because uh, things happen quick. And uh, we found out this uh, like a few weeks ago, and next thing you know that we were praying about it, and next thing you know we are here, and uh, we're in a building that we want to glorify God in, regardless of what kind of building it is, but uh, I think it's much healthier. And uh, if any of you have had any... Uh, kind of responses from that building, which I've heard from uh, quite a few people, and I think uh, it's probably bothered me to a little bit of an extent too. And I can say I think this building uh, works well for us right now. And uh, like uh, like the prayer said, it'd be great to double us that we could bring people to Christ as Lord works through us and disciple them, and then eventually uh, move out of here because there's not enough room. And wouldn't that be good? Uh, but that's really what, what we're here for, not only to worship God and to be edifying to each other, but also to reach out to the lost. And hopefully uh, we can, uh, through uh, all of our our help there, we have some ideas that maybe uh, the Lord can work through. So we want to be people of faith, just like these guys. There's nothing special about us, is there? And But it's amazing how God has worked through us for so many years. Thank you guys for staying with it. And uh, I, I want to tell you, it's great to see Tom there today because he was a part of our Monday night Bible study for a few years at uh, at the store, Alpha and Omega. And so he played a big part in that. It was great to have him there. And, and he went down to Florida and uh, he got to uh, be able to be with his son and uh, watch him grow up. And he's now in college and he went to a different state. So Tom said... What am I doing down here? And he came back here, and he uh, actually is helping his dad, and uh, and and he, he's working here, so he's back full time. And boy, it is really a pleasure to have you here this this first time, and even helped uh, coming in here yesterday and helping some things, and that was very very thoughtful. I, I say that is it's because it's it's neat to always see fresh faces, and it really encourages all of us. Well, verse thirty-two says, "And what more shall I say?" <laughs> I got a feeling the writer had a lot of things to say. And then the next sentence says, For time will fail me if I tell of. <laughs> and I can identify with this. Luke, can you identify with this? Time will fail me. Time is always failing us. We can't get done. We, we want to finish what we have before us. And most often, we don't get everything in that we would like to get in. <laughs> and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. I like that. Can you identify with that, guys? Uh, and what more shall I say? Oh, he has a ton more to tell him. This is I don't have enough time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson. He's given them quite a bit of information on different people, you know, a verse or two. But on these guys, he just says their names. Now there are some accomplishments that you see in verse thirty-three and and then uh, thirty-four, but uh, it's not for each individual. They're just they're just thrown out there. Uh, there's a reason for that, but. Uh, Preacher always has his eye on the clock, and I see we have a clock here. Uh, I was hoping maybe it wouldn't be up today, and that way I would have an excuse. <laughs> Two. Oh, no. Oh, why? In case that one doesn't work back there. Um, anyway, very familiar names here. Some of them are not real familiar. Uh, you think of Gideon, yeah. Samson, yeah. Barak, yeah. Jephthah, uh, I forget about him. Samuel, yeah. Kind of some of these we know real well, others we go. I kind of forget the story, so we'll get to go through that. Well, we're going to see first of all that faith accomplishes great things. Uh, matter of fact, uh, your outlines are on the bulletins. Did you guys see those as you walked in? They're right up there at the table. I guess some of you might have seen that. I don't have it for 
the uh, there's a title up there, uh, but I didn't get the outline uh, this week, and it was running so late that uh, you know. Thank you guys for putting putting that up there, right there. You knew where that was at. Very good. Uh, it does accomplish great things, doesn't it? Faith does. We first look at Gideon, and Gideon is a man of faith. Now, if you were really to look at him, you wouldn't really say that he was a great man of faith if you knew where he'd come from and how he speaks to the Lord. You know, in a in a negative tone, and that boy, you. What are you coming to me about? You know, I'm nobody. You know, I'm poor and I'm a farmer. That's that's his idea. Um, but the thing is, in Judges six through eight, we get the story of Gideon. Gideon was called a minister. He wasn't expecting that. God does that to people. <laughs> he gets them to uh, do things that sometimes they're not expecting. And uh, he gets him to become a judge in the time of the Midianites. Midianites caused all sorts of hassle uh, of the Israelites. And if you want to go back, well, we're going to be basically in Judges today a lot. We've, we've read the passage in Hebrews and we look back and see a little bit more of the story. And so we're out of the first five books of the Bible. And then you have, of course, you have Joshua. The next one is Judges, during the time of the Judges. In Judges chapter 6. We see that uh, in verse 1, the sons of Israel had done evil on the side of the Lord. They'd done wicked things. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. If you have disobedience, God has to punish. He does. He gives them into the hand. He did that. He gave them right into the Midianites. Why them? Uh, you know what those Midianites did? They were evil people themselves. As it says in verse 3, for it was when Israel had sown. They did their crops in the spring. It's so that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. And what would they do? So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth. Now there's a lot of produce of the earth that came And This is October 1st. Uh, Rebecca brought a bunch of tomatoes in there, so whoever wants those. Isn't that amazing? This is October. They're still coming. That kind of surprised you too, Rebecca, right? But can you imagine somebody coming into your garden every time that as soon as it gets ripe and everything and you've waited, you put all the work into it, somebody comes in there and just storms your whole garden and just destroys the whole thing. Can you imagine that? Well, deer do that a lot. Rabbits and stuff. But these were, these were the, the Midianites. Look at this. It says even their sheep, their ox, their donkey. Uh, at the end of verse 5, it says to devastate it. So that's what they did. Created all sorts of havoc. They didn't care about keeping the produce for themselves. They just come in there and destroy everything. Devastated. Quite a group of people. Well, that's when the angel of the Lord comes, visits Gideon. Because it's time to get the people back into a zone of where they had been. He's going to use Gideon. Um, the Lord comes. This is a like a pre-incarnate Christ, a theophany. Um, Twelve, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, said to him, the Lord is with you. Yahweh is with you. Jehovah is with you. Oh, valiant warrior. <laughs> Gideon is a farmer, basically. And he calls him what? A valiant warrior. Uh, you must have the wrong person here. And he says... Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You guys ever ask the Lord, why is this happening? 
I don't understand, Lord. Why have You done this? Why have You allowed this to happen with the Midianites to come in and do what they did? You see in verse 14, it says, This Lord looked and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Uh, verse 15, He said to him, oh, oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? <laughs> how can I do that? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. I mean, we're the lowest. And I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian. Fat. God speaking. You're, you're speaking to this, this, this appearance of God. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. And we know the story of the fleece and such, and you know you go on with that. Um, what what is happening here is a man is trying to get out of this deal, and he can't understand how he could actually serve God in in this sense. A mighty man of valor here. Uh, he's a he's a a man showing weakness, but yet God is saying. You're going to defeat the enemy by this theophany. I think that should be able to strengthen one for the task. He's consecrated by really the work of the Holy Spirit. He's endued with power. Uh, he must go before the Midianites and defeat them uh, to overthrow the places of worship. And he actually called was called uh, Jerob Baal. That means one who contends with Baal. This is Gideon. Pretty good name there, isn't it? As a result of that. So he was confirmed. He was consecrated. He was used to God in just a tremendous, remarkable victory of 300 men versus how many? 132,000 of the Midianites? Are you kidding me? He started with... 32,000, right? Gideon did. 32,000. Uh, they're told that, hey, anybody wants to go home? Go ahead. Well, there were only 10,000 left because 22,000 went. God says, still too many. <laughs> we, have, we have too many here. So, don't you think that was kind of disturbing to Gideon? I mean, two-thirds of the army is now gone. And God is still saying there's too many. I think it would be disturbing to the 10,000 that are left. They're going, we're still standing here, but what's going on? So, there's a little little test involved here to get this down further. And God tells them to go down to the brook that separates uh, the Midianites versus the, the Israelites here. And... Of course, there are the ones who just get down like a, a like what a dog would do, you know, hands and knees, take their mouth to the the water and just you know take it that way. Or there's other ones that are just going to kind of scoop it up with their hand and they're going to be looking around at the same time, you know, because they're aware that the enemy is around. The other guys really weren't concerned, and so God said there are 300 of those that have that concern. That's who we want. Now He's taking it down. To 300, right? Can you imagine Gideon? <laughs> what is going on? I volunteered here. He volunteered me, but whatever. I'm trusting him. And God gives him this full implement of armor. You guys know the armor that he was given? You guys already know the story, right? What was he given? Well, he was given trumpets, 
lights or pitchers, lanterns, and their voices. That's, that's their weaponry. That's what they're going to defeat the enemy with as they're outnumbered. And then God told him, go to the camp of the Midianites and see and, and hear. And so, and he takes Buddy with him and they go and check that out. And he hears one of these Midianites say to, to another Midianite in the camp there at the tent, and he said, You know, I had a dream. You know what my dream was? It's kind of strange. There was a, a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread just kind of rolled down a hill and went into the tent and crushed it. It's kind of what he's saying. The bread rolled off the hill. A, lot of, a loaf of bread came, hit one of the tents of our tents, and destroyed it. And, and he also said, you know what that means? That means we're going to be defeated. <laughs> That's the Midianites. That's this one guy saying. You know what Gideon said? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for indicating your will. I hear it. I see what's going on. Thank you, Lord. And so he has this picture. They have the pictures. They're to break the picture. And then they're to shout to the Lord. Uh, I, you know, it's what is it? The Lord and Gideon. I think the I'm gonna I'm gonna turn back to the the text that we're dealing with now. Kind of touch up with there, and we're in in six through seven, and we see in nineteen, right at the end of it, they blew the trumpets, smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. Verse twenty: When the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands. Trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And that's what they did. And each stood in his place around the camp. All the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, the Midianites, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Bethshita towards Zerah, as far as the edge of Ebomiloa by Tabith. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. They caught them, and they uh, killed almost all of them there. They got rid of them. They fled out of there. Uh, those over 100,000, 130,000, what have you. Uh, think of it. Uh, in at his faith. And that's incredible. To be able to use lights, uh, voices... Uh, what we have here is an absolute victory, and they had they had seen those lights, and they they and they heard the noise and such. They they started killing each other, thinking that was the enemy as as they woke up. You know, faith isn't always sensational, and of course, in this situation, it is kind of a sensational, but kind of reminds you of the Red Sea, but. Not quite as dramatic. This is this is in the dark. Uh, maybe you're not you're not going to be seen in the light and such. Uh, faith isn't always sensational that you would uh, that would be seen. And of course, after this was all said and done, I, I think the people well knew that this was an act of God. Gideon and the soldiers really didn't do anything other than you know do the torches and the trumpets and, and shout. Did you think they knew? Uh, that God did this? Obviously. They can't take any credit for this. God loves to use weak people because His glory shows off. 
when he uses weak people. And that's what he did here. Uh, quite a thought. Well, you move on and you see a guy by the name of Barak. Barak defeated Sisera and the Canaanites. You can say, oh, okay, he defeated them. Oh, what about Barak? Well, he won a tremendous victory that, again, it's where God did it. That People cannot take credit. Um, but he, he defeated an army that had 900 chariots. That may not sound too much like a great big deal, but it was huge. That was a huge armory. It's like tanks, chariots. That's a, a big deal. And he did it really by the prodding of a woman, Deborah. Deborah's a judge. Um, so we see it's, even though his name is mentioned here, Barak, he really doesn't get credit for it because Deborah is going to get credit for it. Because he was really depending upon her. Although he's depending upon God because he's here. We know it's his faith there, but he was still kind of kind of scared about it in that sense. He wanted some help with Deborah. There was a massive force of Sisera. There's no way they should have been able to take them. Incredible odds. No way you're going to win. But God sent a message to Barak through a woman by the name of Deborah. Uh, we can we can turn to uh, Judges Judges four and five is where you see that. We're just kind of hitting verses here and there, like the highlight verses. Uh, we were in six and seven. Or we back up. You'll notice here in Hebrews, you don't always get chronological order. You would have thought he would have just kept on going. It's like okay, he throws out a name, comes back, and and it goes back uh, chapters before about somebody else. It's kind of way he's operating here, and that's okay. Um, here it is in verse six, and speaking of Deborah in verse five. Now she sent and summoned Barak the son of uh, Benanoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, "Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded: Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I'll give him into your hand." That's the message that came from God through Deborah. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He didn't need her. She already gave him the message, God's going to take care of this. But he said, If you go with me, Deborah, then I'll go. If you don't, I'm not going. Okay. Well, she has a really good... Con- she had been having a conversation with God, so he says, Hey, I, I like that idea. Uh, verse 12, Then they told Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots. That's big time there. And all the people who were with him. In verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. It's time to go. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. That's all I need to hear, right? The Lord is there. He's with you. He's gone out before you. There you, there you go. And this is coming from Deborah. He says, alright, you're coming with me, aren't you? <laughs> the Lord routed. Look at this. I love this. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Look at that. He routed Sisera, all his chariots, all his army. The Lord did that. He's the one that routed. But He used the people, the 10,000. You think He needed 10,000? 
No, he needed. He could have used three hundred. Ah, he didn't even really need three hundred. Did he? Could have used three. Could have used one. Didn't even need any of them. But in this case, he uses more people. He's different every time, isn't he? The Lord uses different ways. We can't pinhole him the way that he's supposed to work. You know, we always have the idea. God said, I'm going to do it this way this time. Just listen to me. Just, just trust me. So anyway, Sisera alighted from his chariot, fled away on foot, it says in 15. Um, all the army of Sisera, says at the end of 16, fell by the edge of the sword. So they're all dead. Sisera's still alive. He's running. 17, now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Yabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. Come here. Come into the tent. I'll hide you. He turned aside to her end of the tent. She covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, then she covered him. She's a really good hostess, isn't she? This is really, really good that she would do this. He said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is there anyone here that you shall say no? But Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand, went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple and went through into the ground, for he is sound asleep and exhausted. And then you've got to like this last sentence here, three words. So he died, I guess. Behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day, Yabin the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Yabin the king of Canaan till they had destroyed Yabin the king of Canaan. So anyway, um, there's the story of, of Barak. And a small band of, of an army they had compared to what they were. Really unarmed infantry that they were. They routed a whole tank division without really any kind of weaponry. And they go and chase the enemy and kill them all. Would you say this is courageous? This is an unbelievable battle. These are men of faith. I mean, they're men of faith. They went out and although they really didn't... It was all the power of God. But yet, they still obeyed. They, they did what He said. It takes faith to get ready. Abraham uh, sacrificing his son, his only son, Isaac. Yeah. yeah. He didn't actually do that. He was willing and able to do it though, wasn't He? So we move on. And uh, one I think all of us are very familiar with, that's Samson. Samson's quite a story. We won't spend a lot of time on it. But in spite of the tragedy, we know about the tragedy of Samson and his deal with Delilah. And in spite of the loss of his strength that happened because of his hair getting cut off and telling the secret, he had great years of strong faith. You can say, what do you mean? I didn't see much good at all. Well, you remember he defeated many Philistines. Thousands of them, didn't he? And that's really what he was brought onto the scene for. God used Samson to defeat those Philistines. The Philistines, we know, were the uh, quite the enemy of the Israelites. They caused them havoc constantly. 
and the Israelites are just mowing the enemy down as they move through Israel, God told him to destroy them all because they're representing what sin is and how it destroys God's people. And He had to have them done. He gave them 400 years. The Amorites are really the Canaanites, all the people there. He gave them plenty of time. They had time to see what had happened back in Egypt. They heard the stories. They had... So they're held responsible. But God has already said, I'm going to destroy them. But they're held responsible for how they respond to what God had done. And Rahab and her family actually show, and it's really about God's divine sovereignty, but we see that she had faith. She was a Gentile. Her being a woman, her being a harlot. We saw that last week. So yet God saved people out of there and He didn't have to. He destroyed the whole population except Noah and his family. He's done that. People can say, what kind of God is that? And they don't want that kind of God because they know they're accountable for their sins and they don't want to be accountable to a God who can destroy. So therefore, just wipe Him out of my mind and it's a lot better, right? They really are not wiping Him out of their mind. They know better. Those people knew that this God was powerful. Anyway, Samson. He was called by God to conquer the Philistines. He never feared to enter into battle. And he would take on multiple peoples. He was not fearing whatsoever. He knew what God had empowered him with. He can say, well, is it going to work this time? Uh, yeah, it, it took out a hundred people that time. But I don't know, this time, we're talking a thousand people. I'm not so sure. <laughs> but no, he was ready to go. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, he's gung ho. Have you ever noticed that even when people have faith, and we're going to get to that by the time we get to the end of the message, that these people don't have it all together? <laughs> Every one of them. And you begin to realize, yeah, I, I know that uh, everybody I know, all the Christians, they don't have to get. I do, but nobody else. No. <laughs> Samson was a champion over the Philistines, and I, I know I, I've struggled with that because I, I saw his sinful life and how he was taken in by foreign women and and uh, you know the, the fornication, adultery that uh, that went on, but he didn't. Fear to enter into the battle. He was a he was a symbol of God's strength. His hair was the symbol of strength. He had the Nazarite vow. He never flinched in conflict. He was ready to go. To go. So that's that's found in Judges thirteen through sixteen. And I'm not going to really elaborate uh, on that. We'll just move on and we'll look at Jephthah. So we have Gideon, we have Barak, we have Samson, we have Jephthah, and a lot of you might say Jephthah. It's been a long time. Who's Jephthah? I've read something about that. I forgot to. Let's move on to the next guy. No, David. <laughs> Jephthah. Uh, basically out of Judges 11 and 12, Jephthah, Jephthah crossed over the uh, to the sons of Ammon. Today you might hear it uh, being pronounced as Ammon. Have you ever heard of Ammon, Jordan? That's it. That's the place. Uh, he crossed over the Jordan River. Ammon is there on the on that east side, and uh, Ammon is just a variation of Ammon. So it's it's interesting that that word would still stick here uh, thousands of years later. This is the land of the Ammonites. These are the Ammonites. 
Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. They are just going everywhere in Israel and just mowing down the enemy. That's what God had planned. He he struck them with a tremendous, awesome slaughter. Again, huge numbers. These people, they had lived in this land long, long before the Israelites had come there. Twenty cities that he led to destruction in that area. The sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel as Jephthah led in that. We'll come back in a bit and see the other side of Jephthah. How about David? And there we mentioned, is mentioned somebody that is a standout. You think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You think of Moses, you know, or Noah. Some of those great big names. Everybody knows the stories on them. And here we have David, and we go, yeah, we certainly know about him. He takes up a lot of pages in the Bible, doesn't he? God uh, used him as a tremendous tool. David was devoted to God, a man after God's own heart. He established a kingdom. The king before him was Saul. Saul didn't do the greatest job, did he? God had in mind to use David. That's what the story was. And so, you will go to First Samuel. Um, you can go to Second Samuel. You can go to First Kings. And there we see David establishing a kingdom. And he was a warrior. Um, he was a songwriter. He was a singer. He was a musician. Um, he had worked for King Saul. Uh, you know, he uh, he was a shepherd. All those things that God had him pre- be prepared for for when it was time to become the king. And he was chased around and humbled by King Saul. And Saul, how many times did he want to just kill David? And David was quite the honorable man. When he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he didn't do it uh, because he knew that. God had raised him up, and until that time was to be, uh, he still honored the fact where God had uh, put that man into position. His most familiar fight was uh, a one-on-one battle. Of course, that's with Goliath, a human monster, if I might say, uh, a giant. David is a teenage boy, young, a young man, young boy, really. Uh, and of course, Goliath sees him coming out to him, and he of course, what does he have? The sling and the stones. And Goliath is like, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You want to take me on with your sticks? And he couldn't even wear the armor. He didn't need the help of some kind of a fleshly thing. He knew it was God that was going to do this. David knew. You remember the story, right? The Philistine just cursed David by his gods against David's God, really. He said, Come to me, Philistine said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. What a boast. Ordinarily he would do that, wouldn't he? David said to the Philistine, it's probably in a real shaky, or maybe a squeaky kind of voice, a teenager's voice. Maybe his voice is changing. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. 
I'm coming in the name of the Lord. You have all your great big weapons and your size. I'm not scared of you. I come in the name of the Lord. The God, the Lord of hosts, this day the Lord will deliver you up into My hands. I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I'm sure David was... Uh, he was okay with doing stuff like that because uh, he had fought off wild animals like lions, bears. What? Do you ever hear of anybody killing a bear these days? He protected his sheep. He was a great sheep protector. He was a great shepherd. A shepherd is about the lowliest position that you can have, but God had him out there protecting the sheep for quite some time when he was a very young boy. And you learn a lot out there. And of course, he wrote songs, learned instruments, played the harp <laughs> like this. I have to wonder if he played just a little bit of blues grass harp, right? <laughs> Any kind of instrument. You know, it's like uh, he was, uh, this guy could do stuff. And he really loved the Lord. Praise God. We, we read the Psalms and most of the Psalms are coming from His writing. Wow. I'm amazed at this man. Uh, providence is all involved here. It, uh, of course, we know what he did. He struck the Philistine on the forehead. Stone stunk into his, sank into his forehead. And of course, he fell on his face to the ground and then, of course, his head was severed. David prevailed over this this Philistine here with a sling and a stone, and uh, there we have uh, the head uh, to show that uh, victory had been done. This came from God. David already gave God credit before he'd even done it. Um, let's move to the next one. That's Samuel. Samuel, uh, again, by faith, he was a great man of faith. Samuel had a tremendous amount of faith as he warned his own people. Now Samuel is in between now the judges. After Moses, then Joshua, you have the judges, right? Long period there. Now Samuel is the stepping stone between the judges and the prophets. By the way, he's kind of both. He's kind of like a judge. He's kind of like a prophet. He is. And this is what's going to you know, push it further. And of course, we have David then after that, being the great king as he was. He faced an idolatrous group of people. He had to battle that all the way through, as did the prophets later on, all the way on through. Of course, they had done idolatry, disobeyed God all through the judges, and then God would raise up somebody and then uh, things would be good for a while and then boom, they'd go right back into their backslidden position and then He would raise up somebody to defeat the enemy and uh, on and on. It went like that for years and years and years. So here's where we're at now. Samuel is in that situation and whatever he knew that was right, that came from God, he believed it to be right um, and he used it on the people as he preached the Word of God. No matter how unpopular it might make him, he was fearless as he warned and warned the people, including even the great high priest Eli. Remember, Samuel grew up in there as a kid, and then we know later on um, he addresses Eli and his sons. Well, we finished that verse 32. 
what more shall I say? Time was going to fail me. So we move on to number 2, which is verse 33, 34. These are actions that happen. A lot of them by who we just read. You know, usually we get a lot of information about the individuals there. We get the names. Now you get the achievements, but no names. Some of them we can figure out. First of all, um, it says here in 33, who by faith, who by faith conquered kingdoms. We know that would be David. That word for conquered, uh, kind of interesting word is kata gonizomai. Kata gonizomai. It means to overcome, to overpower, to overthrow. Literally, it means to take down or subdue. To subdue the enemy. To take them down. That's what they did. They, they took down kingdoms, set up the kingdom. And this would describe like the judges, the ones we've looked at. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 7 through 9. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Did you see all the, the lands that they conquered? Of course, we've, we've kind of covered that, but they, they conquered kingdoms, didn't they? Came in and took all these different people, and they did that by faith. They just did it because this is what God had in mind. The next one is that they performed righteousness. Acts of righteousness. They performed acts of righteousness. That reminds me of David, for instance. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. 2 Samuel 8.15 So David reigned over all Israel. He reigned. He ruled. And David, look at this, administered justice and righteousness for all his people. He administered justice and righteousness. That's an amazing thing for a leader to actually do that. They're supposed to do that? That's a very difficult thing to do because of all the power that's in their hand. So he administered this justice, this righteousness for all his people. Um, don't you think that when people went to court or whenever there were decisions to be made, the people trusted in what he had done? He had proven to them, hadn't he? And that administering that kind of justice was was great for the people. They, they loved that kind of thing. And of course, Samuel did the same thing. And time would fail me if I went and explained that one, so we'll move on. Uh, the next one, obtain promises. There are many illustrations, uh, many illustrations of the promises. Joshua was given a promise of victory. Gideon was given a promise of victory. Barak was given a promise of victory. David was given a promise of victory. 
all of these. And of course, the ultimate is that there are going to be more. That's going to be fulfilled later. Um, Judges 13.5, that's Samson, just for a moment. And uh, of course, he was promised victory. Uh, what did I say? 13.5. Now, this, this is a promise to his parents. Um, Behold, now you are barren, have borne no children, but you should conceive and give birth to a son. Verse 4, Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. That's a Nazarite vow. Kind of set apart. For behold, you shall conceive, give birth to a son, no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And he did. That's That was a promise. The parents got it. They passed it on to Samson. They believe it, he believes it, and therefore he did it. That's why, again, those promises that um, were carried out to the judges, the prophets. David in 2 Samuel 7.11 is the great covenant promise. Won't we look there? That's, a, that's one of the greatest promises that's been extended from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on through. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. Even from the day I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. House of David. But there's going to be a temple that's actually going to be built. But David's not going to be able to build that. But when your days are complete, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This goes beyond his son Solomon. Who does it go to? Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That is the promise. That's what all of Hebrews 11 was really leading to, isn't it? That's what it's all about. It's all about Christ. All of this faith, it's because of what Christ did. Obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. Time would fail me. You know about Daniel. You know about that, right? Even Samson shut the mouths of lions whenever he, he killed a lion, right? Um, David had killed a lion. 1 Samuel 17.34 How about the ones who, verse 34, quenched the power of fire? Think about that. How about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel's three friends? They had a companion in the fire. The one like the Son of Man. I wonder who that was. That's, again, a picture of Christ, isn't it? Um... The three friends were not going to bow down. And they even said, God will deliver us. And even if He doesn't deliver us, that's okay too. We're here. That was quite an attitude to take, wasn't it? God can do this, but He doesn't have to. If He doesn't, it's okay. We're just going to trust in Him. We're going to just be that. And they won. They conquered by faith. Uh, The next one is escape the edge of the sword. Escape the edge of the sword. Who was it that was always trying to kill David? Saul. No matter how often Saul tried to do that, he you know he was he would get that sword within the reach of David's head, but he just couldn't do it. It never it it, it didn't happen. He wanted to. God's providence. I think so. 
escaped the edge of the sword. Then there was Elisha. You remember when there was a Joram running after him? This is in 2 Kings 6. He wanted to kill him with his sword, but he, he couldn't. And you go on and on. There are several stories of that. Uh, how about from weakness becoming strong? Uh, Hezekiah had prayed for a long life. You remember that? He prayed for more life. God gave it to him. God gave him more life. He had no son at this death struggle. And he needs a son to continue it on. And so God gives him a promise and power. Hezekiah prays. He's healed. He lives another 15 years. And eventually bore a son. 2 Kings chapter 20. Routed foreign armies. That's self-explanatory. We've just been dealing with that, haven't we? They became mighty in war. We just read about these guys, the judges and the kings, particularly in the southern kingdom. We go to part three, God uses flawed people. We can identify with this. We saw those people in verse 32. Just take Gideon real quickly. We're getting ready to boil this down. What about Gideon? Well, he was fearful. He tested God. You know, the fleece and such. Well, okay, give me that. Let's try the other side. Let's do it differently this way. Um, Gideon was kind of cowardly. He had to be coaxed into doing that. But remember that amazing victory. 300 men over 135,000 men. Uh, in Judges 8, 24-27, he didn't really intend to turn things into idolatry. But it kind of turned into that way. He made an ephod that lured Israel later into idolatry. And all the things that they had gathered in their battles and put it out there in this effort is kind of a, a symbol for victory. And he was giving God all the glory, but somehow it turned into an idolatrous work as time went on. Barak, what about him? Well, he was hesitant. We already said that. He, he depended on Deborah. Deborah really more or less got the credit out of it. Even though in Hebrews 11 we have Barak here. So he kind of gets the deal. He kind of has to share it, doesn't he? But Deborah said, hey, you can go and you can do this. Well, if you come. Deborah, you have to come. Uh, Samson, we know about his exploits and uh, we already said that there's the positive side because he was faithful in doing those battles. He never relinquished that. He, that's what he did. But uh, he was controlled by the flesh. Really controlled by the flesh. Every time he saw a foreign woman that looked good to him, um, he would go after her he was tripped up by his lust for the foreign women. Jephthah, well, Jephthah defeated so many of the enemies. He led his people in battle against the enemy, won victories after victories. There's one thing about him, we don't have time to turn there, but he had a, a stupid rash vow that he made. To sacrifice the first thing, God, you have it's all your victory that you've done. I, I praise you, God. All glory to you. I'm gonna I'll tell you what, God, I'm so thankful for this. The first thing that comes out of my house, I'm gonna sacrifice to you. What kind of vow is that? That's the reason God says, be careful and take a vow. And after he said it and he saw what happened, as his daughter comes out of the house, he should have said, God, uh, I I wasn't expecting that. I'm, there's, I can't kill my daughter. You know why he continued and went a, along with it. I have no idea. This was this was just absolutely stupid. He didn't have to do this. 
But in his own thought, uh, he has to follow through. He's a man of his word. So his only daughter comes out to greet him and he keeps his crazy vow. David, we all know. It's out in front of everybody. Everybody knows. Man after God's own heart, he was guilty of adultery. Because of that, he is guilty of murder, lying. You put all the Ten Commandments, they're all broken whenever this happens. He had great faith as a teenager, but he commits adultery, murder, cover his tracks. If we finish... And what we do is we look at this and we say, in spite of these flaws, God used these men that we looked at. They all had flaws. They trusted Him. They trusted God. Challenging situations, weren't they? Who? Me? What? That? They're thinking that. This really should encourage every one of us here this morning especially with what God is putting forth before us. He always does that, doesn't He? God uses imperfect people. And I usually like to say broken people. Broken people on a broken stage carrying out the acts that God has us to do in this story. He cares about us. He has something for us to do. That sin, should, we should never justify that. We can say, hey, it's okay. It's all God's plan. I can go ahead and do this. I feel good about it. It's alright. Uh, no, 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 no. Never is there justification for sin. Don't ever use that. He said, well, that's just me. That's just the way my personality is. And if I offend somebody, tough. <laughs> no, no, can't do that either. But we don't have to wait until we are sinlessly perfect on the other side, Right? Well, whenever I get all things right and everything, then I'll I'll start serving God. You'll be waiting and waiting and waiting. (laughs) Nobody's perfect, we know that. You know, I like biographies. And if biographies are well written, we've seen biographies here, haven't we? And if you have biographies that are not necessarily by biblical people, but they are biblical people, if you see a story that is written well, it doesn't portray that person like they walked on water and everything they did was all perfect and elegant. No, what it does, it reveals the imperfections that are there too. The Bible always does that, doesn't it? There's not a man in here that is sinless except Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. It doesn't portray the person like they are it and they are perfect. Those stories never do. It'll show immaturity. It'll show blind spots. You know, every one of us could just open up a little bit about the other and show those weak elements real quick. But ourselves, we'd never see. If you ever noticed that, you ever thought about that? I don't have any problem. <laughs> we know better. We have some blind spots that we don't know, maybe, but. These men did great things for God. Because of this faith, He worked through them. They trusted Him. Here's how we're going to finish. Christ conquered God's enemies. That is the reason they were able to do those things. Christ hadn't come yet. It's going to be hundreds of years. But because of Christ's victory, that's where we have our power. 
He is the one who established perfect righteousness. Remember when we looked at those achievements? He's the one who got the kingdom of God, isn't He? Righteousness. He fulfilled all of God's promises. When we look at the obtained promises, He fulfilled those promises. He overcame death with resurrection. They overcame kingdoms. They overcame a lot of different things and mouths of lions, but Jesus defeated death. Resurrection. Coming back to life. And you know what? We're not perfect people at all and we've got a long way to go. But I do want to tell you, I and, and everybody here would realize that we're blessed by other imperfect people because we're encouraged by other imperfect people. We encourage other imperfect people. And it's all based on the fact as when we look at Christ, we see that all of perfection is found in Him. This is where we find our faith in Christ. He's fulfilled it all. There's our hope. There's our joy. There is our lives. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for these men of faith in this hall of faith. We realize they're people. They were men and women just like us. And You used them in great ways. You chose them out to do certain things that really was impossible humanly. But yet You worked through. And today, just in just little things, You're working in areas in our lives that sometimes seem impossible to us. And if we just trust in You, those things come about. You will work Your plan. You are working Your plan. Help us to keep trusting in You. A simple faith, but yet it's so profound. Thank You for this morning this time of worship. Thank You for uh, Your people who exhibit to me and to each other what faith is. Now as we go out of here, help us share our faith with others and hear their stories, know their stories, what God is doing each day. In Jesus' name, who makes all this possible, we pray, Amen. I say, be blessed. I want to tell you, I thought the kids were just awesome today. Fantastic. I'm impressed. I don't know of any other any other group of kids that could have done anywhere close to where you guys did with, with no door and everything. Got a good group of kids back there, you guys. Very good. Amen? Amen. <laughs>